You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And as David just read about hope, it's going to be what we're talking about, talking about hope this morning. And I want to start by asking this question. What is hope? What is it? I think we say the word all the time. I hope my sports team wins. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I hope this pandemic ends. And I came across this definition of hope that really helped me to understand it better, and I hope it does the same for us today. It's from a medieval theologian, a guy named Thomas Aquinas. You do not have to read him, but he says this about hope. Hope regards two things, the good which it intends to obtain and the help by which that good is obtained. Let's walk through it a little bit. See, his hope always applies to the future. For example, I hope for a great Christmas season. And I hope, and the thing in hoping for that is I hope for the great Christmas season and the help I need to obtain that is for my family to not fight about politics and to give me the gift that I want. So that is, that is, and thus my hope is fulfilled. It is important to notice that I'm hoping in two things at the same time. That's what Aquinas is getting at. I'm hoping for a great Christmas season, but I'm also hoping for my, in my family, I'm hoping in my family to deliver that great Christmas season. I hope in both the good and the help required to deliver that good. That's going to be very important later. Keep Hold on to that. And as we take a closer look at hope, we begin to realize that we're always hoping for something. And if we look too closely, we realize that the things that we've been hoping for are, offer only a temporary satisfaction. You see, I hoped for a PlayStation 5 for a long time. They've been out for over a year now, but there was a shortage. And I waited eight months of scouring the internet, hoping to get it, hoping to get it, hoping to get it, and then finally I got it. And I was really excited. And then I had it. And I realized, what was I so excited about again? That's, oh, that's right, I need, like, now I need a game. Like, now they just, they need to make an amazing game to play on it, and then it's going to be even more amazing, and I hope that that game comes soon. And then I hope another game comes soon. And I keep moving my hope further and further down the line, as I realize that the happiness this PlayStation 5 has offered me is only so temporary. So I hope for something new. And today I want to read a passage that is all about hope. But this hope offers permanent happiness. And this hope has an eternal significance. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles, if you're Bible people or phone people, uh, to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, starting in verse 14. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. 
In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is Our Righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. This is a really short passage, and it doesn't really give us a lot of context of what's happening in the book of Jeremiah and the nation of Judah. So I want to take a moment and zoom out. Let's see what's happening in the life of Judah. So Jeremiah is God's messenger to the people of Judah. And Judah has been placing all their hope and all their trust in idols, these man-made carvings and statues that they worship and offer sacrifices to, hoping that these idols can restore them, that these idols can provide safety and security in their land. And the reason they're hoping for safety and security and restoration in their land is because at the moment, there's this great nation called Babylon, and they're making their way over from the east, and Babylon has become a powerhouse, and they have been conquering nation left and right, and they have a standing date with the nation of Judah, which Judah cannot hope to withstand them. And so the people of Judah are hoping that these images, these idols that they've made, will deliver them, will do something for them, will protect them from this nation of Babylon. But Jeremiah has been crying out to them, begging them to stop worshiping idols, to turn away from them and put their hope in God. For God is the only one that has the power to save them. Only God can bring the restoration, safety, and security that people are looking for. And that's what Jeremiah comes with, this message, to a nation in the midst of destruction, a siege at its gates, Jeremiah comes with hope, and God offers this message. God says, the days are surely coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God is inviting the people of Judah to hope in his promises, to what he's promised them in the past. This is the good thing that they should be hoping for these promises. And one of the promises is that God has given him, and God has given his people is to their once great king, David. And David is perhaps the greatest king of Judah to this point. And God promised David that he would have a descendant on the throne forever. And that's good news to these people because when David was on the throne, things were good in Judah. Enemies fell before them. Prosperity thrived, they won all their battles, there was peace in the land, and that is, and Judah prospered. And so to have someone from the house of David on the throne forever would mean that these things would stay in place forever. And when this descendant comes, he will restore the people of Judah, providing safety and security in the land. God wants the people to hope in him because he's the only one who has the power to deliver the goods they so desire. Yet the people of Judah don't hope in God. They place their hope in idols. They trust in their carvings and their statues they made to help them. But they are powerless to do so. So we must ask ourselves, where are we placing our hope? How alike are we to the people of Judah? 
Do we keep placing in things that have no power to save us? If only this vaccine brought the pandemic to an end. If only everyone obeyed the lockdown measures. If only electing Joe Biden ended the political tension in the nation. If only. If only. We look closely and we realize that the things we hope for and hope in have not brought the restoration, safety, and security that we so desire. And just as Jeremiah cried out to the people of Judah, reminding them where to put their hope, this where to put their hope. This Christmas season serves as our reminder of where we should be placing our hope. See, we long to be restored. Maybe we long to be restored to the pre-pandemic days, the pre-Trump days, the pre-MTV days. But if we're really honest, all those days weren't that great either. We still longed for something. We still hoped for more. No, we're hoping for a better restoration. We're hoping for a better safety and security. You see, the promises in this passage of restoration, safety, and security are not just for the one-time nation of Judah and the one-time government and this one-time people. These promises are for all the people of God. How is that so, you ask? How can these promises be for us? I'll tell you. These promises are for all the people of God because of how they are brought to fulfillment. How these promises are delivered. Because they're brought to fulfillment by the branch of David. The one who sits on the throne forever. And remember, we hope for a good and we hope for the help to deliver that good. So who exactly is the help of the branch of David? Who will save Judah and make Jerusalem safe? The Bible tells us in the New Testament that the branch of David is none other than Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. We read in the book of Luke that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. The book of Matthew tells us an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And the book of Acts tells us that Jesus was given the throne of his father, David. As Jeremiah predicted, the days are coming when the promises of God will be fulfilled. And in fact, we are living in those days. For Jesus Christ has come. He has come, and that is why we celebrate why we have hope. And he's the one we have hoped for. Christ has come and he has begun to make the promises of God become a reality for Christ is the only one able to offer an eternal restoration. One that is greater than the days before COVID and in a deliverance and one better than one-time deliverance from an impending army. Because what Christ comes to offer is a conquering of the thing we fear most. Just as the people of Judah feared the conquering army, which would ultimately mean death and destruction, we too fear death. And Christ has come to offer restoration, safety, and security from that. 
The salvation spoken of here is not a one-time promise. The offer, the, again, theologian from the 1500s named John Calvin uh, says this about the passage. The salvation spoken of here is speaking of the kingdom of Christ. Because if it is not, then it is just a temporal salvation of an earthly kingdom. If he is speaking of an earthly government or a kingdom, then salvation would be temporal. This is not a temporary salvation because it is Christ who brings the salvation. And Christ is not a temporary thing. Furthermore, what is yet to be addressed is the very end of this passage. The name by which the city of Jerusalem will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. As Christians today, this is exactly what we say about ourselves. The Lord is our righteousness. Christ is the one who makes us righteous. It is Jesus who restores us to a relationship with God, removing the sin that separates us. It is Jesus who restores us to true life that he himself lived. It is in Christ that we become restored and made to dwell in safety and security. It is in Christ that these things come to happen. And as I was studying this passage, I came across something so amazing, so incredible, so wonderful, I had to share it with you. And up on the screen, you're going to see a passage from Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. And now you may notice that it looks extremely similar to our passage in 33, 14, and 16. There's a few differences. And I'm going to read it out now, and we'll talk about those differences. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Before we get to the big mega difference, the one that's so amazing, so wonderful, is I want to point out that this passage tells us that it is in his days the days of the branch of David, that these promises will be fulfilled. That Judah will be saved. It is the days of Jesus Christ that these promises will begin to be brought to fulfillment. Now, did you see it? Did you see the big difference between this passage and our passage? It's okay if you didn't. Throw it up on the screen. Oh, you threw it up on the screen. Quick trigger. In chapter 23, we see that the branch of David, Jesus Christ, is the one who will be called the Lord is our righteousness. And in chapter 33, we learn that it is the city, the people of God, that will be called the Lord is our righteousness. We share the same name as Jesus Christ. And some of his qualities and some of his characteristics are inferred onto us as he rules over us and dwells in us and dwells among us as he brings these promises to fulfillment. The days are surely coming and they have come. We are restored because the Lord is our righteousness. We are saved and dwell in safety because Jesus Christ dwells within us. It is so beautiful that we share this name. The one we have hoped for begins to fulfill his promises in us. Christ is the one who can help to deliver the good we have hoped for. 
We've talked a lot about what hope is, where our hope is, how that hope is fulfilled. But we haven't talked about why. Why we hope. I mean, for the people of Judah, it is pretty obvious why they hope. They do not want to be destroyed. They are afraid of Babylon. But why do we hope? And to be honest, I think we hope for a lot of things. We are always hoping for something. But deep down, I think that all of us share in the same hope that this cannot be it. This cannot be all there is. This cannot be all that life has to offer. Striving to pay every bill, fulfilling every family obligation 40 hours a week or more in a job we don't love. Trying to find satisfaction in travel, in romance, in alcohol, in whatever it may be. And at the end of all the struggle, all the hardship, all the toil, all the joy, all the pain, what you're greeted with at the end of the road is death. Death. That's the end result of life. Every single time. Life cannot just be a temporary pit stop on the way to the final destination of death. So we hope. We hope that this isn't it. We hope that something, someone can give us what we so desperately desire. And that is to be restored to experience true life. To dwell in safety and security. And the good news is, is that the branch of David has come. He's come. And the promises of God are beginning to be fulfilled. For Jesus Christ rules with righteousness as he dwells over us and among us and in us. And so a measure of our hope has been fulfilled. And yet we still hope. We hope for a future day of complete restoration. Perfect safety and perfect peace. A day in which true life conquers death. And it is death that becomes the pit stop on the way to everlasting life. It is in Christ that we hope these goods will come to reality. I want to share with you the story of my first encounter with hope. I was in sixth grade. I was 11 years old. And I learned one day at school that my grandmother was in the hospital. But I didn't call her grandma or Grammy. I called her nanny. And my brother and I would go up to my nanny's house a few times a year, and she lived in Cherry Hill, Arizona. She owned five acres of land, and we would romp all around. We would explore, play games. There's a big hill. We'd slide down on cardboard boxes, and nanny let us have popsicles for breakfast and any sweet we wanted, and she was the best. And any time we wanted money, we got it. And we were five acres of land in the middle of nowhere. What were we going to spend it on? But we just loved it, and we loved nanny, and it was so wonderful. And fast forward, I'm here, sixth grade, learning that my Nanny's in the hospital. So we jet up to Cherry, get a hotel. We arrive at the hospital. My nanny is in the ICU, the intensive care unit. And I was young, and so my, my parents decided that my brother and I, they don't want us to see her like that. With all the tubes and the wires and the respirator and the life support and the monitors and the whole shebang, keeping her alive, they said, we don't want you to see her like that. We don't want you to remember her like this. You just, we'll, we'll leave you outside. 
So my brother and I, we sat. We waited. And my parents would go in, and my dad would read scripture over her and pray, and I would wait. A few days go, my parents realize slowly that my nanny isn't going to get better. So they make the decision to let me and my brother go in to see her with all the tubes and wires and the monitors. And it takes everything in me to not weep. I can't speak. I can't move. Every fiber of my being is focused on not letting the tears shed. So seldom do we get to see death so bare and naked, forcing us to acknowledge our own mortality and forcing to acknowledge how horrible it is. Because every time death comes, it is always horrible, whether it's early or whether it's an old age. And I stood in the room as my nanny took her last breath. And then I wept. The last time I saw her, drifting off into death. But I have hope. I have hope that I'll see my nanny again. That death was just a pit stop on the way to eternal restoration. To everlasting life. I have hope that I will be restored with my nanny. And we will dwell in safety and security, and we will be called the Lord is our righteousness. And it is in Jesus Christ that I hope to obtain these goods. Hope regards two things. The good which it intends to obtain, and the help by which that good is obtained. I think we're all hoping for restoration, safety, and security. But who are you hoping in to deliver these goods? Would you pray with me?